dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the seventh episode of the second season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one is called After. Pretty easy to draw a conclusion as to where this, this name comes from. Yeah, it's like the aftermath. Aftermath, yeah, that's what I would say. The footnote is, see last week's explosion. <laughs> exactly. Well, all right, we're going to do, we're going to start off with, normally we follow characters, this time we're going to follow a little bit like chunking scenes. And I want to start off with our handmaids and their two main scenes, which were bookends of our episode. We have the funeral scene at the beginning, and we're going to end with the market scene. So it turns out that the there were 31 handmaids killed. We find that out during the episode. And they have this very ritualistic red coffins and that really kind of like it's kind of like the horror movie version of what the brides were wearing like the brides were freaky with their white veils you know over their faces but now we've got these red veils over their faces that brought like a whole new uh dimension of like demonic looking people walking around creatures what i noticed about the costume was that normally the the handmaid's costumes range from super simple like the you know when she's wearing like her, her sweatshirt at yeah, home that's so funny that's like her <laughs> casual maid outfit right and then when she's out she's got the cloaks and the hat and then this but they all look kind of cheap to me okay and this looked like something that someone actually cared when they made it like yeah because, you know, later on she boxes it. Like, this is obviously just the funeral suit. This isn't just the formal wear for the handmaid. Agree. So, Very much not formal wear. This, this is, is grieving wear. It's a big deal. It's It's got a. It's got that kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word in fabric is, but it's kind of an opaque shroud in front of their faces while they're yeah. walking. Yes. And it, that's like, yes, that's what I mean. It's like this weird, I would think it would almost be made of some sort of um, like stretchy, but like opaque material. It's all very odd. And then like the rest of it is like very uh, starched, like in a way that's just, yeah. like you were saying, very Expensive formal. looking fabric. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, far more than that sweatshirt ensemble that she sometimes sports. <laughs> right. I thought it was so sad the way that even in death and when they went around to say, you know, the person's name that was dying, this was their funeral, they still stuck to the of whatever. You know, they still didn't. I, I know, obviously, they're never going to say their names, but it just it makes me so sad that like even in their death, it's like of Ryan, of Neil, of Hal, of Zeb, all this stuff. It's just like. Awful, right? Just awful. It's, well, it's sort of, you'd think that these uh, ceremonies designed around handmade life, whoever designed them might have been thinking like, this is the way to draw them together into their own little tight-knit community. But I could see this sort of thing actually making them all feel very alone, fending for themselves. No one's protecting them. They don't even get to keep their name when they die. Yeah, even in death, they're just property of someone else. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised that they gave them uh, what I guess I would consider, I suppose, a proper burial. 
I, I was kind of surprised, you know, I mean, anything could have happened. They could have just cremated them and not ever said their names at all. Because the weird thing is that it's not like they keep those names forever. Like, so if it says of Hal on their gravestone or something. Um, they could have been of Chuck next week. <laughs> and there's going to be another of Hal tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so it's like really, really bizarre in that way that there, there's like no... It's not like that's just your name forever. It's just so strange. So I do want to point out that square box that she put the outfit away in. Again, like symbolically, it really reminded me of how I'm guessing we're going to call her June the whole time. When June folded up her outfit when she got away from Gilead and threw it into the furnace, Mm -hmm. that was like very much I felt like when she was folding it and then putting into that square, it reminded me of that same square look that the that the furnace had. And it, it was it was very much like the last time that she was folding up an outfit like that, because the rest of the time her clothes hang in the in the closet. So it doesn't seem like she ever like has a drawer or something to put her stuff in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about that? That ride home when they're recognizing the fact that nobody did know of Glenn's actual name. That made me think back. Oh, my God. I totally missed the idea that this is the of Glenn that gave June that speech last year about how her life used to suck. And this is so much better than than living life as a crack whore. Right. This is that same of Glenn. This right? is the same. Yep. And she's totally shut her down on getting to know her. Right. Right. So she turns out to be the martyr. I would say she was proven wrong about her earlier opinion. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure losing your tongue would is going to have that effect on you for sure. Yeah. That was a pretty awful turn of events for her. And, and it turns out the entire household, because as they're riding home and they're looking out the windows, there are people hanging from like every portion of this one property, like from the garage, from the tree, from the windows. I mean, it's like literally like the, the most overt haunted house look that you could ever create. It was so very sad, but so very important that we actually see that there are going to be ramifications. This whole thing about like, you know, if you do one thing, it's it's it has nothing to do with just you in this society, which is, you know, what what puts June at such odds with the rest of the handmaids on these occasions, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is so nicely bookended with the the market scene at the end where, you know, at, we find out throughout the episode that Janine and Emily were plucked from the colonies and put back into service. How do you feel about Janine and Emily coming back into our main storylines? For one... They're irradiated, so they stand a pretty good chance of being sterile or producing some birth defects, right? I would think yes. Okay, so that's not great. B or two makes me question the whole legitimacy of the colonies in the first place. Either they're they're like, you know, these are people that you can't even deal with anymore because they're unwomen, or actually they're still okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or it's just they're okay when things are really bad now. Uh, okay. Uh, so, okay. So I was glad that they brought them back into the fold because I really don't want to see more of the colonies and I didn't really see much yeah. more of a story happening there. Well, we wondered, we were wondering how they were, how the hell they were going to get out. Right. We knew they were going to get out. We knew they had to get out because the colonies felt like a really milked location. And so it was like, there's no way that they're going to leave them in this setting, but how are they going to remove them and put them back in? And we knew Alexis Bledel was a full-time cast member this year. I didn't even know that. She wasn't getting the screen time. Yeah. There just wasn't any story left <laughs> yeah. there. I felt like. So I was glad to see them back into the fold. I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think it's going to be for naught. I don't think that there anything successfully could come of this situation. The 
determination that June had to like turn the tables and finally say like, I'm not going to keep not knowing at people's names anymore. And she starts being so bold as to go around and say her name to people. Did you think there was going to be a backlash? What did you think was going to happen? I really thought that that first girl would just, at first I thought she would just be quiet and turn around. And then when she said her name, I thought she would just say her name and then turn around. I did not think that she would be like telephone tagging all over the grocery store. (laughs) I do have a massive question mark about who is the security officers in the market because they completely missed the telephone game going on, which seems like was kind of their only job, right? Was to make sure that they don't chit chat about things they're not supposed to be chitting chat about or like what, just so they don't take a bite out of the peach or something. I mean, really, what could their jobs be? And they missed it that they were all like talking to one another and smiling. (laughs) Right, right. It would be pretty apparent. Highly irregular. My God. Okay. So the one person in that entire market scene that makes me the most nervous. E-D-E-N. Yes. Eden, who apparently has been lent out to the Webster's. Okay. Because I think that it might have been the Webster's Martha that got shot. Remember when we saw Cushing do that shooting of a Martha outside? I'm going to venture a guess that that might have been the Webster's. Martha. And so Eden was sent on over to, you know, lend a hand as one does when a neighbor's maid gets shot. You send over your extra girl. It's just manners. Right. Paul, manners. Well, you know, she's 12. She doesn't know how to do much. Ah, right. So I think that Eden's look on her face was very concerning. I'm of the mind that she's a true believer. This makes her very dangerous to our revolutionary pals like June. So, yeah, having her around in the middle of these shenanigans will will get back to the wrong ears. I feel like we've got to get some dirt on Eden or else June is just going to be like hurting for a long time here. She needs to get something on her. I don't know what I don't know what's going to go on here, but we need some dirt on this girl. You got to get some blackmail going because otherwise she's just too squeaky clean, you know? Whatever she says is going to just be believed, you know? I don't know what you can get on a kid that young. Like, she sneaks juice at night or something. Paul, you can't have so much juice. <laughs> rations. Right. right. The troops need the juice. Exactly. The the eyes need to see something ferocious about the, her. That's guardian juice. Guardian juice only. All right. So, let's move over to the hospital. And we find out that Frederick is once again invincible. Yep, my guess is he hid behind the podium, like I stated last week. You'll notice that he's not actually that all burned up. Uh, so normally, your your like your eyelashes and eyebrows are pretty uh, susceptible, but Good he's call. still he's still got his full beard and all that shit. Good so call on that. So yeah, he um he probably like an like a what do you call that an impact kind of thing where he kind of got. Probably got blown against the wall, maybe. I have no idea. I don't know. You know what? I feel like whenever I see something like this and then I see his injuries, I think, you know what? I'm woefully underinformed about what would happen if you blew up someone 10 feet away from someone else. I was of the mind the other person would probably take pretty major injuries. Turns out, nah. Some would completely die. Others just need some extra oxygen and some neosporin. We found and some out, extra R&R, right? We found out the price was amongst the dead. Yeah, that was a which, pretty major find. Which which uh, helps our hypothesis last week that <laughs> this is a career bump for Friedrich. Um, 
I don't know if he's going to be put in charge of the whole thing, but I do believe he's probably up two or three notches. Not only that, but also that it was going to close the door on Nick and being able to have someone's ear that was outside the Waterford household that was actually remembered right. him from before. Nick's on his own. Right. Now Nick is out there swinging in the breeze and that was completely exposed in the hospital. He was Price's mole and now there's no more Price. Exactly. So now we have Cushing show up on the scene. Commander Cushing. He's more or less a special investigator in this episode. He's going to try to root out who, who, whoever's behind the bombing. <laughs> He's very ominous the way he deals with Fred and especially the rest of the Waterford house. Fred was obviously blown up, sir. Right? So Obviously. So, it, I mean, who's... You, you think he blew up himself? I don't know. All I can think is that maybe he's maybe it was like, well, if if what you're saying is right and Waterford does get Price's job, well, then he did stand to benefit from for when, what happened. I mean, do I think that is what what? No, of course not. I mean, we know that's not what happened. I don't believe. But I mean, I guess Cushing's job overall is just always be like, no one's above suspicion. This that is, is his weasel face. Opening the Rachel and Leah Center was his project. We didn't know it, you know, more than a week ahead of time, but that was his project. So the fact that he got blown up at his own project isn't exactly like, you know, a feather in one's Gileadian glitty Gileadian cap. However, right? it would also give you the um what is the what's the right word that I want to say? You had the not the motive, but you had the opportunity. Opportunity. It would give you the opportunity because you know you would know all the things. Uh, how about this? You didn't die in the blast. How did you know where to hide in a building that you made? Right. Mm. So, I mean, I guess it could look awfully suspicious. Like somehow you were two feet away. She was running directly at you. You didn't get blown up. How convenient. What exactly did you build in that room? Did you know this was going to happen? You know, that was that was that podium like, you know, triple enforced or something. You know, what did you do different? Who knows? But he definitely was suspicious of everyone in the room. Did you think that Serena Joy played this? Like like you would expect with the whole uh, let's bring June in as a as a, a little uh, pick me up for Fred. She's the hardest character to figure out. Her uh, and Luke. I'm going to call those two as like my biggest, fattest question marks. Nah, Luke. Let's maybe, not talk about Luke yet. Maybe it's just that biggest, I'm a guy, but I, I can I can I can deal with Luke. But Serena Joy, she's very complicated for me. You know, I know it's it's not nice to call women complicated. You're supposed to call them complex, but no, she's complicated. Is she a true believer in the Gilead state or not? If she is, that explains why the idea of seeing the handmaid carrying your quote unquote child would potentially lift your spirits, right? Look, the baby's okay. Everything's still going on. There's reasons to pull through right here. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But then the second that Fred actually gets any happiness out of that, like exactly like, yay, June's here. It makes like a smile face. So Joe's like, and that's enough of all of that. Not too happy. Right. It's like- If you guys could see Paul right now, he's like, <laughs> Given the, the the hard SMH, like all about the eye rolls and the like, I this woman is perplexing. She is. I. She hurts your head, huh? Well, I think I've got some of her figured out. I think I've got the part 
where she is frustrated about being shut out of the process and st- and stuck in this subservient role. I think I get that part, but the part where she turns on other women and is so vindictive and all that, um, and then not all all in the same episode is that's the part I can't. Well, that's where the whole part. Okay, so Paul and I have been to um to a, a to a, a panel called Complex, not complicated. And the whole concept of is that women, when you write that character, a lot of times people make that where they're almost erratic in the things that they do, aka complicated. complicated. Yeah. But there, but there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of understanding. There's not a lot of complexity to their character. They're just complicated and it's it's one of those things that it's it's a very fine line but i bet you guys can start to see it now when we say that some of our characters are written complicated and some of them are written extremely complex and you really understand you know why they they do the things they do serena joy you're right is is kind of just complicated right now especially throughout this episode even there's there's moments where you get it the complexity of her and then you're like whoa whoa, whoa things just got really muddy yeah. The the last thing that happened in the hospital that, again, talk about, is this complicated or was this complex? I don't know. Was Nick and June in the hallway scene? <laughs> uh, uh, danger zone, kids. <laughs> um, I mean, talk about just adding a complication to the situation. Kissing in the hallway, yo? I mean... Come on. I I cannot believe there would not be cameras in the hospital. I cannot believe there wouldn't be so much more security in the hospital. I mean, they say that they have guardians standing outside the doors and stuff. I mean, I, I just don't really get this. That scene made me wonder, are we actually rooting for a, a person who is, quote unquote, a good person? Or are we just she's just the protagonist and we're following her through this horrible story and seeing how she has to deal with things. But it seems a lot like this is totally disingenuous with with Nick at this point and that he is just possibly a route to get back out of here. Oh, definitely, Paul. I think that you're, you're calling it exactly as it is. I don't know why you think that would make you unpopular. I think 150% Nick has always been a stepping stone. I think that she has momentary pleasure with him, but I don't think that there's, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're trying to say like, well, it's, she should be more sincerely in love with him. I don't think that's possible. I mean, she's married. She has a child. There's a whole life that she was plucked from. There's no... I mean, it would be weirder if she was like genuinely in love with him. I mean, you know, when this whole time she's trying to get out and be mm-hmm. away from here. I mean, I think she uses the baby and everything having to do with Nick as like a, another motivation for him to continue to help her. But I think she would be a thousand and billion percent happy if she could be pulled back out of here and raise this baby with Luke and Hannah elsewhere. That would be fine. And never hear or see Nick again. Not a problem. You know, I don't I don't think she would be sad about that fact. Not from a lover's forlorn thing. She might worry about him as a human, you know, but not like soulmates, you know? Right. But I just thought that was odd that they would take such a risk. You know, after after her being gone and then them calling it a kidnapping and them coming back, I just, the whole thing just really, I mean, it did not ring true. I, I just felt like, and isn't he her driver? So <laughs> yes. couldn't they have this conversation alone in the car all the way home? 
Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like, I don't know, this seemed weird. Or even quietly on their way down the stairs and whatever, you know, like on their way out. Sort of salacious the way they did it. I, that's what I mean. Like, was that just complicating the situation? Like, the, it didn't need to be. There was, there was no complexity to that. They just did it to do it. Kind of weird. Let's talk about this Commander Cushing and the whole idea of like, did he complicate the situation or did he make this whole thing more complex? Well, he adds a lot of tension this episode. He raises the stakes on this whole story. The the concept of of Offred was kidnapped. You know, June might have gone willingly, but Offred was kidnapped. I like that D- differentiation. So in order to to not you know be put to death <laughs> june has to has to dig deeper she has to double down on offred i thought that it was all good questioning in both both situations so if you guys remember we're talking about when they go back to the house june goes back post hospital and commander cushing is sniffing around and he has decided that he knows better you know, he's going to do that whole, I know you're lying. It kind of reminded me of um, Golden Girls when Sophia is like, you know, they were all talking about you. They were talking about that <laughs> thing. They all laughed about it. And it just like leaves you to your own like fill in the blank where you're like, they were. Oh, my God. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, he's like, I know you. I know that. I know you did that thing. Yeah. Just tell me who did that thing with you. That thing you did. And it's like, he doesn't have any actual information, but, you know, he's trying hard all she has to do is continue to be like, I didn't see anybody. I don't know where I was. Me no no. Just here to have a baby and move along. Right? Right. But damn, he was intimidating, right? He, I thought so. I mean, uh, I give June some credit for having the fortitude to just keep keep with the party line, but also having the intelligence to know this guy ain't, ain't going to give up just, just after one one round of questions. Well, she had that looking out the window moment of seeing him like leave the house and go outside and shoot a Martha. So, you know, this guy, he means business, Paul. He'll shoot a Martha is the point, you know? And I thought it was perfection to have her wait up for Serena Joy and, you know, shoot the shit here for a second. Serena Joy having that interesting recollection that she actually vacationed in Antigua with Cushing And then uses that line, now he's a big man and doesn't see me. Ooh. That's more anti-establishment talk from Serena. Not what we might expect to hear all the time. She's getting very loose lips with this. Mm -hmm. Now, this entire way that she lays this out, oh my gosh, I playing this entire situation like a fiddle. Although it is a true song, she is fiddling, Paul. It's a true song. She's saying, like, Serena Joy, here's the situation. If Cushing comes questioning, we don't answer the way he wants us to. He's simply going to say that I that I did do. I was, you know, running away. And as we've learned from Off Glen's lovely home decor out in the yard down there, uh, they're going to take out the entire household. That's me, the baby, you, Fred, Nick. Everybody and the baby, they're probably going to go get your mother, you know, down the road that you visited. You know, they're going to go get everybody, everybody, everyone's dead. And Serena still gives her that, you know, big mouth. Fred wouldn't allow that. Her response, June's. Oh, he's not here, Serena. Right. Right. Music to my ears, June. What's that old movie where the woman says, you wouldn't do this to me if I wasn't in this chair? 
And then the sister goes, but you are in the chair. Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly right, Paulo. Exactly right. So this is creating this magical team of June absolutely knowing that her life is on the line, but understanding her worth and her value and playing her cards. Nick now understanding that price is out of the picture. He's got to find some leverage in this and understand that Cushing's all kinds of bad news for Nick as well, as well as June and the baby. Serena Joy finally understanding that she doesn't protect June, that baby's not protected, and Fred ain't here to do it. So she better come up with some big fat ideas. I labeled them Team Fuck You. How do you like that? <laughs> eloquent, would you say? Uh, that is the word that shot to mind immediately was eloquent. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. You're so supportive. Back comes Cushing to like do some more railing on the Waterfords. Serena Joy. Mm-mm. By order of Fred Waterford, you are being taken away by overwhelming evidence of who? The eyes. The eyes. Led by who? The Nick. Right? He's all like, excuse me, pardon me. We got to take this guy away. Amazing. What an amazing end to Commander Cushing. One can only imagine that that door is officially closed on him. I'd like to think it is, but I have a sneaking suspicion, if you guys did get to see the trailer for next week, that perhaps Cushing and that Order of Waterford might just come back. On all of us. We all. Wait and see, my friends. Wait and see. Fred's condition is probably not a secret amongst all of the other commanders. Well, Cushing did show his little face up there, so he did see him with his own eyes, all bleary-faced and oxygenated. Right. So it would make sense that once enough people start seeing the idea of from the desk of Fred uh, Waterford. Waterford. Right. They'd be like, (laughs) what do you mean? The dude can't lift a pen right now. How is he, how is he doing all this? Well, and I think in addition to that, I think that if there's something that comes across Fred's desk, because I do think he's going to recover and he sees something about bus by the order of Waterford, Cushing was taking away. Maybe Cushing's just sitting in a jail cell somewhere rotting right now. So what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think he's a goner. And I think that Fred might just end up teaming up with him. And this could be the ultimate team fuck you versus team. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They get a lamer name because they're lamer. They're stupid commanders. It does sound lame. Oh, Paul. All right. Let's talk about Fred's office. What is going down in Frederick's office? We have the Edith Wilsoning of the show. That's Caroline's historical reference to the wife of Woodrow Wilson, who secretly ran the country after Woodrow had a stroke. For how long, Paul? Like a day, a week? Close to a year. A year, people! Woodrow was out of it, and Edith just did exactly what we're seeing Serena Joy starting to do. Just starts writing the paperwork and just appears to be part of the, like, well, just bring it in here, and when Fred wakes up, I'll get him to sign it. Y'all need to leave him for some rest. Scritchity scratch, scritchity scratch. Fred fell back to sleep, but he signed all the papers when he woke up. And this this is uh, sort of a model that Serena has used early in her life where she's the idea person, but she needs a word person. Yes. And she needs someone to craft or at least edit for whatever reason mm-hmm. her ideas, the way she, she 
puts them out to the world. So uh, she determines, right, that Cushing has ruined this town. What do we need to do? Remove checkpoints, remove all these guardians, get things back to the fun, enjoyable Gilead we all had before. Yeah, I like how she applies the word normal to describe that because, you know, we live in modern times. And so <laughs> when she uses the word normal, it's like, do you mean your normal or like real actual normal? She means Gileadian. Yeah. Gladian. Yeah. What do we say? Gladian? Gileadian? Yeah, something like know. that. It all makes my head hurt. So here's the deal, though. The strangest part was when she summons Junafrid to get down there because she's got to be the extra pen. What? Did you see this coming? No, but- I it was telling that it was in the commander's room. That's that's where they break the rules. I don't know if all commanders have their secret room where they break rules, but in the Waterford house, that's where they do it. Well, I don't know how much work they're going to get done, but definitely the imagery of June picking up that pen, feeling that pen in her hand, molesting that pen, <laughs> and then holding it like the detonator and clicking it. Damn, that was some like A++ imagery work on the director's part or whomever wrote that exactly the way it looked. They've had some real deliberate cinematography this season that maybe they had last season, but this season anybody can notice it, right? I don't know if anybody notices it, but it's blatant to us. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm glad you're here because I missed it the first time, but it's, yeah. I'm glad you're here, Paul. Yeah. And listeners, we're glad you're here. Let's talk about Canada. Oh, yeah. What's going on in Canada, Paul, during all this debacle? You know, it's funny. Uh, there was a discussion today on the Facebook page that was talking about colors as they apply to the show and how, you know, everything's kind of drab in Gilead. It certainly is. But when they go to Canada, the whatever the they're the land of the Canadians. <laughs> right. Canada is what most of us call it. But uh, sure, the land of the Canadians. It's 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 a little more colorful, but it's actually like the contrast is more harsh, making it seem where where things are drab and kind of meant to be suppressed in Gilead in Canada, it seems like it's more gritty and 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 Dirty and would just, you say like actively like grieving? Mm, I don't know that I get that from overly contrasty casted colors like that, but okay, it's it's like when you're watching movies from the 70s that have that same kind of filmic quality where they go out of their way to be like, This is gritty and terrible, and things were just shit in New York back then, you know, that sort of stuff. I did uh, not catch that movie. Which one was that? Any cop movie from the 70s oh. and but it gives you it's supposed to give you that feeling we're like this is hopeless you know that sort of thing and so is it like distress or intensity or like find a word other than gritty because there's something more about like the humans and how they feel that is like more to this because i think that's the reason why things are dreary in gilead because the there's like this like wet blanket over the whole place everything's like gray like you said hazy even because i think there's that that element of like confusion about what the hell is happening next like nothing is clear cut everything's this blurriness 
to it, you mm-hmm. know? And so then when you speak about it, are you speaking that things are like more crisp and whatnot in Canada? Like, give me some other words for this. What is the adjective you're searching for? Harsh is the word. I mean, it, I, it's probably not like czarist Russia or something like that, but I, I mean, it is harsh. I mean, it's because it's the, I think it's the crowding aspect and everyone's kind of doing their best, but their best isn't amounting to a whole lot, you know? So I think desperate, I would feel like that too. Yeah. Definitely desperate. So, all right, let's start talking about Moira here because we finally get a whole bunch of backstory on Moira. Turns out, Paul, that there was like an in-between this like everybody is having kids and everything's fine and then handmaids. There was this section in between where a great deal of money was being given to women who were willing to have children, apparently worldwide. So like Moira, it turns out, is given 250 thousand dollars if she would give a baby turns out to be named gavin turns out to be adopted out to a family that actually is moving to england lives in england so one thing is good we found out she had a kiddo and he's hopefully safe in england hopefully there's no way he's involved in the gilead world infrastructure because there could have been some fear that you actually adopted your baby to someone who's now a commander Right. That would have been the horror of this realization. So at least through this flashback, they seem to point it out that he is not in the country. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. A lot of time spent showing the entire process from concept to baby handover. Yeah. And a lot of that I feel like had to do with working on that relationship that we were like really wanting to understand between Moira and June. Like we understood they were best friends, but to see how much that they went through and how much of each other's lives they were a part of. And even that they had these moments where things were like not always perfect and stuff. I think that that kind of stuff really, again, adds complexity, not necessarily complication to their backgrounds that I enjoyed. I thought that was good. Now, this part you didn't really like, right? You didn't like this this addition of Odette and, and Moira's background with her. Yeah, I mean... Now, explain why you, you weren't exactly so keen on this. Because... It felt like an insert, like they didn't have enough a story for this episode. So they they knew at some point they wanted to flesh out Moira. So this was a as good a time to do it as any. But this is the sort of like motivating force in her life that I think we would have found out about earlier. Not only that, but can I throw it in this idea? Because our focus is on our protagonist, June. Okay, why in the world would Moira or Luke have any interest in figuring out if Odette was dead and nobody seems to be concentrated on the June part or the Hannah part? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I mean, they could have been and you and you could even like argue, well, no, Moira was also making sure that June wasn't dead. Sure. But also. But why? Why would why wouldn't it be she's looking for June and also Odette? Why the other way around? Because like you said, they had to insert who her fiance was and give her some backstory I'm with you. Maybe not the right time right now, especially because by highlighting Odette and sidelining June in the search, it made Luke's response super bizarre. Luke came off as aloof and kind of stupid in this episode, I thought. He walked away in the hallway before any even questions had been asked. 
And he was just like, I'm going home, like whatever. And, you know, when she was like, she made some comments, Moira was like, don't you need to know? Like, we don't know if she's dead or alive. And it looks like, welcome to my world. Who are you talking to? Moira has more than lived your world, Luke. Like, you're a joke. She went through the handmaid's thing. She was living in Jezebel. She she got out of there. You're trying to say that your run through the woods was like, you're more authentically living this life than Moira is? Like, come on. Well, in guy speak, he was really just limiting limiting it to the idea that not knowing the ultimate fate of someone that you care deeply about. That was really the tiny sliver of life that he he was comparing. I totally am with you uh, a, a billion percent. But I mean, again, Moira was living this. And so what is he talking about? You know, I mean, she was also having these same feelings the whole time as he was, you know, worrying about where everyone was mm-hmm. and not knowing dead or alive. It's just I thought it was just bad. I can't figure out if this was just piss poor writing for Luke, if it wasn't captured right, like meaning like maybe they should have asked him to say the lines in a couple different ways. What would have made it something? Let me hear this. Director Paul, let me hear it. Is if they would have shown us her going to look at those white books once an episode, every couple of episodes this season. And maybe not even explaining what the F she was doing, Ah. but just making it look like, you know, morning, she's there. Middle of the night, she's there. Just that kind of thing. Just randomly, she's there. So that by the time you see Luke have this flip, glib, aloof response to the whole thing, you could reasonably think, well, you know, this is the hundredth time she's gone. So right, and that she searched the same books over and over I'm again. I'm not going to get all worked up about her, her crisis on a number 100. That's just not how people can, can cope with things. I feel like they could have done this had they not expressed that Canada knew there was an explosion. Because, like, you're right. They could have somehow built up where they could have, even, even if they didn't show her all those times, maybe they were like, hey, Moira, you know, remember you have to sign in. And she's like, this is my 35th time coming here. I know. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or they showed that she was the only one that checked the book out every day or something. And, you know, one of those times saying, like, what do you think, if Luke said, what do you think you're going to find new in there? You know, nothing new is happening. You're not going to find something new in there, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If they didn't know the explosion had happened. But knowing the explosion had happened and that 31 handmaids had been killed, that's got to give you some fresh incentive to check the binders. You know, even if you had been doing it the whole time, that intro that they gave in the hallway was all Luke should have needed to be able to say, do you know the names? <laughs> you know, right. do you have pictures? Do you have any identifying ways to know? Not only for her, but he doesn't know if for June, when I say her, he doesn't know if the children had been lined up for that. What if Hannah had been in that building? You know, I mean, sure. like, God dang, something, Luke. Well, really then, bad scenes for Luke. Really bad. Then the other part that made this like stupid to me was who's who's a taking the pictures and b bringing them back to Canada for them to Ah. have in these bound folders. I love that. Yes. Yes. And how are they getting them in such a volume that they need a room to keep them all? I don't know. And I think it's crazy town. I think you're exactly, exactly right to ask that question. And it's certainly listeners. If you guys were paying attention and you saw something or heard something where they said, oh yeah, we have, you know, these insiders and they're, they're, you know, 
ushering information back and forth. Oh my God, tell me who, how, how, how is this all working? I'd love to know. The other part to this, to this section that was confusing and very much that same idea was Moira goes outside. She has a framed photograph of herself and Odette. That was a beautiful photograph. How in the hell does she have it? There is no way she could. If you guys are thinking, well, maybe Luke brought it. No, guys. Luke had his knapsack on his back. At and he one wasn't point, carrying Moira's shit. He wasn't carrying shit. Moira's shit, is right. <laughs> Moira didn't ever make it out. She had no shit. Everything was taken away from her. She escaped from Gilead. So, guys, remember, there's no way she didn't. There was no, there's no like going home and getting your stuff. That's why they live in Canada. Like there's no, just go back to your apartment now that we got you out of there. So what the hell was that? I made one pitiful attempt at making an excuse for Moira in my head when I saw that. You want to hear it? Absolutely. She had the picture on some sort of cloud service. Oh. And the cloud service wasn't hosted in America, or maybe it was elsewhere or something. And even though she maybe not didn't have access to it for a couple of years, that didn't mean that it was gone. Okay. Okay. I will accept that answer, Paul. I will accept that somehow she had access to a cloud and she was able to print that photograph. Now that makes very little sense about why we don't have pictures of June and Hannah all around Luke's apartment. And whatnot. Sure. There should be a lot more June and Hannah stuff going on. But I like that very much. That is smart. I will go with that, Paul. I like that very much. It's the only way it could work. In the moment, (laughs) I felt just like, what the hell? Like, that doesn't make any damn sense. You know, I just, it would have been, it would have felt more comfortable to me if then maybe we actually, I, I don't know why I would need this, but somehow it would have felt better if we saw her on a computer flipping through pictures or something and like hit print or something. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel like I need that. But if you're going to go through this story of Odette, you could have almost told it to us via pictures, via her going through the cloud and finding the the photos and the whatever, you know? Maybe you could have even flip-flopped between her looking in the binders and seeing dead faces and her flipping through some sort of cloud access of her flipping through the best picture she could find of her and Odette. I I think there could have been really cool ways. That would have been a very poetic kind of melding of their life together and then their their death. And her death. Right. Yeah. I mean, thank you. I, I I, I don't have a writing degree, but I play one on podcasting. So I, I'm just saying that, like, I, I absolutely feel like there was some missed opportunities here to weave this a lot more nicely through this. I, I felt I was completely confused um, by Luke. I thought this was bizarre. The only part that I thought was kind of interesting at all and and again sort of did a better job of giving us some real like names and faces to the situation was that slideshow of the of the deceased that they played at the end you know they were they did actually have off Glenn on the slideshow and she said this is the person we believe to be the bomber and it said lily fuller and so we actually did as a conclusion have her name have what she looked like without her whole get up on. And, you know, there was something to that that felt very like, okay, you know, that the slides and the and the reviewing of all those pictures and stuff felt like it had a reason, you know, we, we were sort of brought to a conclusion there. Because if you remember at the beginning, we didn't, we didn't, we were just burying her, you know? Yeah, yeah. So super interesting. One thing again from that scene, you guys, and again, I, I've looked around, I haven't found anything yet, but if you guys saw anything, um, listeners, you know when she was putting the picture down of her no debt, and mm-hmm. in the tree there was like those little white 
noose looking things i thought they looked like nooses but they were also made of appearing to be like a like white streamers or something like they were small and delicate and i couldn't tell what they were weird i I didn't know what they were at all i don't know why nooses would be uh, an appropriate thing to hang around in like a memorial gravesidey area like that seems like sad manners like we don't do that (laughs) but the way that they were put out i mean it was like they were decoration like they were like staggered and you know i I don't know it's very odd very odd. If you guys knew what that meant, please let us know. Right. I mean, the context of that place would be only honoring like a grieving, the, the yeah. dead. Uh, so nooses never honor anybody. Yeah, nooses are associated with killing someone, or executing, suicide, even. Or, or, not, or you're right, suicide. But not anything that would be what I would consider like respectful. I, no. I don't know. It seemed odd, very out of place for me. I'm not sure. Maybe I was missing the symbolism completely. I know that there was some really good symbolism in there. There was some good music in this episode. I liked that when she clicked the pen, it played um, Venus was her name, that song. She's got it. You know that song? <laughs> yeah. I liked that. like that whole part. I thought the looking out the window thing where she's like looking at Cushing and he's given that scary face. And then later she's looking out at Cushing and he's given that scary face. But because he's getting drugged into a van, <laughs> I loved a lot of the imagery in this. The square box again, we mentioned there was a lot of really good things that were happening in this that I found very fascinating. Now, Paul, how long is Serena Joy going to be able to Edith Wilson the situation? How long? One episode, two episodes, no episodes. It's already over. What's up? I think she can keep it up for two or three. In, in TV uh, catastrophic recovery time, Fred's probably got two or three episodes to go before he's he's in a you know in a wheelchair back home. In a wheelchair. Yeah. Well, if you guys have not seen the trailer that comes out uh, through Israeli TV programming, sorry, Paul, I don't think you're correct. I think it's going to be a lot quicker than that episode wise. Now, maybe they'll give us a little bit of a time jump. Maybe they'll say, and she's, I can't believe we've been getting away with this for three weeks. You know, she might (laughs) say something like that. I don't know. But unfortunately, based on. That Israeli trailer, I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, if you don't want to watch those trailers for the next one, we haven't seen it, you guys. We haven't seen any screeners on this, but the trailer, he's back in action. And in fact, it looks pretty bad. In fact, do you want to know, Paul, what it looked like? What was happening? Well, it's in a trailer, so it's not it's a spoiler. in a trailer. He appeared to be taking his belt off and whipping Serena Joy. That's what appeared to be happening. Now, if that goes down as it looked like, now we all know trailers are very deceiving if it was that then if we all wondered what was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back i'd say the belt is going to break serena joy's back because i don't think she's going to stick around for corporal punishment from a guy that was wearing like the nerdy sweater vest when they first started dating the pocket protector right so the guy that carried her fanny pack exactly so i think if we were wondering what would be the catalyst if maybe he has some brain damage when he comes back maybe he's got some amnesia when he comes back maybe i don't know what somehow he's got some new maybe because if he turns into the new commander price Maybe all of a sudden he's like unbearable to like the nth degree now. He's like ruling the whole world, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I think that the the Nick, June, Serena Joy, Team Fuck You stands to live another day if Fred comes home acting like he's the boss man. He might find a little poison in his stew is all I'm saying. Which, by the way, you guys, uh, note to the uh, previous episode that we did not mention this. Do you know in the previous episode when Serena Joy was making that tea and she was downstairs and Lydia was all like, I can't stick around? Yep. All right. There was something strange about the way that she made her tea and they even showed it. She like made tea for herself and then ran Lydia's through a strainer. Okay. They also showed her having a great deal of time in the greenhouse. Some of our listeners have supposed that is it possible that she is growing any type of poisons out there? Anything that could hurt anyone out there? Because... Not long after she shared some tea with June, after that, she started bleeding. Now, you might say, why would she do something that could potentially hurt the baby? There are certain weeds that actually, and I'm, or herbs, I would be nicer to say, that actually can induce labor of some sort, can cause problems for the baby. That's a thing. So, knowing that she's such a crazy ass, like you said, she's not going to punch her in the face, but. Right in the uterus. Could she punch her in the universe? (laughs) Uterus. The universe universe. I don't know. Could she do that? I don't know. She's crazy. Is that why Lydia said pass on the T? Because she saw her doing some strainer business. I mean, I don't know. However, what a great way to take Fred out. Would you like some tea, my dear? And poison that dude. Because that is the way to get out of this without it being, supposedly, they're probably not doing any forensic autopsies to figure out the toxicology situation, you know? And herbs are, like, notorious for, like, running out of your system in, like, 12 hours, you know? Where, like, if you didn't if you didn't catch it right away, it deteriorates in the body. You never did see it anyway. I, not that I've done any research on poison, Paul. It's not what I'm saying. This is getting uncomfortable. It's not what I'm suggesting. I haven't looked up how to kill your husband with poison. No! I'm just saying... I've seen some shows. I can remember some things from like those sort of like, remember those like unsolved mystery type things when they recreate shit. Remember, there's been poisons involved, right? Yeah. yeah. They're tricky business. So it's such like a an old school Bible way to go too, right? Poison someone. It's an old school well, and way to take someone out. Maybe it's just the fiction that I read, but poison is constantly referred to as a women's execution tool, not mm-hmm. A man would not execute another man by poison. He would just stab him, shoot him, whatever. But a woman would use poison and other sneaky tools like that. Ooh, well, I'm going to say clever tools like that. Clever. We don't like to get blood on our hands. Give me a break. All right, you guys. So I'm throwing that out there. I think poison is going to come into play. I think there was a little foreshadowing. And I think that we have been given a pretty good idea that Nick and June and, and Serena Joy can be a formidable foe for these commanders when they put their brains together. Now, do I think Serena Joy is going to buck around like a wild stallion, both hurting Nick, June and anyone else around her while Team Fuck You is working? Absolutely. (laughs) You do not want to walk behind Serena Joy because she's going to spook and kick you in the head. So watch out, you guys, because I do not think this is going to be a cohesive team that stays cool with one another. I see it definitely still having a lot of growing pains, but I do think they're pretty darn effective, wouldn't you? Maybe they're just like an Ocean's Eleven sort of thing. Like they're good one time, but, you know, they can't they can't 
stand each other for more than just one job. I think right when Fred comes back, I think you're right. But I think that once she gets whipped or if that really if that scene happens the way that it looks like. Sorry, Fal. I think she's going back to the well on team. Fuck you. Try again. Job number two. What isn't there an Ocean's 12? Yeah. See, we got one more job, one last job to do. And that's get this baby and Serena Joy and June out the block. And the way we're going to do that is, of course, with our friend Nick. So we hope you guys have enjoyed listening. We absolutely encourage you guys to check out Gilead online where everybody's chatting about stuff. We are a non-political group. So you guys are safe to talk about all the stories, everything. What's the haps in the Waterford house? without having to deal with all of the current crap that goes on in our country and around the world. We encourage you to check it out, as well as so many shows, radio show, in which we talk about handmaids and many other things, five nights a week on so many shows, TV talk. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.